You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome back to The Devoted Podcast. Boy, I applaud you guys for coming back in. I hope you're ready. Because I told you last week that when I felt like the Lord was nudging me towards kicking this season off with Romans 12, I thought it would be awesome to just hit those hallmark verses that we covered last week, specifically Romans 12, 1 through 2. And we also talked about verse 3. But I honestly, as I continued to study down Romans 12, I realized like, oh, Lord, there's a lot here. And I have to tell you guys, there are so many times as I am praying through these episodes and the Lord does his work on me. Man, I read some verses and I... I am right there with you guys. I am praying through these things going, Lord, how am I doing? Because remember, I talked to you guys last week on really our aim here with the Devoted Podcast is just to be completely devoted, completely submitted to the God's word. So that can't be a tagline though, guys. That's gotta be something where when we read something like, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, that we have to really actually ask. And then we have to go, wow, Lord, do I need to make a shift in this? Do I need to change gears? Do I need to align myself with what you have and what you think of me, what your scripture says, not what the culture says, not being conformed to this world, but really seeking what the Lord has for us. Now, the only way to do that, of course, is for us to be in the word, right? We've got to be in the word. We've got to be studying it. We've got to be knowing it. It's got to be our go-to or else we're not going to be able to do those things. And we're just going to be a pawn of culture. I encourage you to get into Romans 12, read verse 4 through verse 8. I'm going to skip those at the moment because there's a lot of things on here. And I told you guys last week, I'm trying to make sure that I don't put so much in here that we don't really let the word do its work. So I want to slow down on some of this a little bit so we can kind of marinate in some of the scripture. So chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Oh, some good, good stuff there. So we might save that for another day. But let's go down to verse 9. And this is where we start to get this little bit of a checklist, guys, okay? I've told you guys, I love my checklist. Yes, I do. When I think about going back to school, do you know how you get your kids' back-to-school list? And there's everything, the dry erase markers, the Sharpies, like the red pencil that nobody even sells anymore, but for some reason your child needs it and you have to go find it. Well, I don't love that stuff, but I sure do love that checkbox that says that I got to go get that. And then when I get it, I get to check it off. It's really fun. Well, I'm not sure if you're going to enjoy this Romans 12 checklist as much, but I sure do think that this is something that the Lord has for us as we take our walk with the Lord and really seek his word about how we're supposed to live very daily. Okay, this is going to be a super daily kind of checklist. And I love this. So verse nine, it starts us off and he's and it's just going to kind of tick off the things that we need to do here. And the first one, he says, let love be genuine. Or in some translations, it says sincere. Okay. I got through four words. Let love be genuine. This is our first task, guys. This is the first thing on your checklist to go, do I have this? Am I being sincere in my love for people or am I faking it? Okay, we're also used to the concept of masks now, right? But think of like the old time masks, like old theater masks. And outside it made you appear one way, but goodness, behind you could have any kind of expression and no one would know. It could be completely different. Or maybe this looks like it acting a certain way around one group, or maybe at church you act a certain way, but then you're different when you're at home or when you're at work. But this verse right here at the top, let love be genuine, let it be sincere. Let it be the real deal. And it's how the world knows who we belong to. John 13, 35, 
reminds us that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We are supposed to love one another, but we're supposed to do so sincerely. So this is always kind of a tricky one to me because have you ever been at church and maybe you're having a rough day? Maybe you are really not feeling that smile that is on the outside of your face and you do feel like you're faking it a little bit. There is this piece sometimes of putting on Jesus, okay? Not in a fake way, but putting on Jesus, relying on him and the joy that he has because you kind of don't feel it yourself. I don't think that's what this is talking about to say that we would be insincere in doing that because I do think that we're, we'll talk to the, about this towards the end of the podcast, guys, but there's things we just can't do this stuff in our own strength. But this is a reminder of what our love should look like and that it should be genuine and sincere. It should look consistent. Our love should be sincere and it should be real. Okay, next on our list here. The next one he says here is to abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. That is a real strong word there. I kind of like the strength of that word. That's not a word we use very often. But to abhor something, I mean, that leaves nothing to question about how we really feel about it. So we are to abhor what is evil. And there we go. We got to ask ourselves that question again. Do I abhor what is evil? Or sometimes I wonder, maybe not only do we not hate it, which I feel like abhor is even stronger than hate, but do we even kind of turn a blind eye to it? Man, we see evil in our world all over. And I do wonder sometimes if we get kind of desensitized to the evil that's around us because it's been around for so long. I've talked about this one before, but it's such a, I think, a rampant cultural evil that we see with abortion. Now, I always love to remind our gals because if the statistics of women who have had an abortion, Christian women, is one in four. So I am talking to you guys out there, and I know there's some of you that have gone through that and the pain that you have gone through. So I always hope that women know that it's not the unpardonable sin. It is not something that you can't be healed from. That is something that Jesus desires to heal. If you guys wonder on some of this, we had a, I think it was an episode 13 We had an episode with a gal named Becky, and she works with a ministry called Heart. And she's somebody that has gone through two abortions and gone through the work and the healing that God has done in her life. And it is remarkable. So when I talk about this issue, I always there's a little bit of a pang for me because I just don't ever want a woman to feel who's been through that, that they are condemned in any way, because that is not it. But I do feel like we need to address the cultural evil, the acceptance that we have of abortion overall in our culture, because it is amazing to me how this has even seeped into the so-called church. Like I've heard Christians try to defend that abortion is okay. To me, when I hear that, I just translate it as there must just be a desensitization to the evil that it is, that we're stripping it down, we're sterilizing it to a clinical term, or we're trying to not act what it really is, and and that is that it's killing a life, killing people, okay? Murder is just never going to be something, or it shouldn't be something in our eyes, that we kind of just go, well, yeah, that just happens in our culture, and not much we can do about it. Guys, that's an evil, That isn't evil. So when I read this verse and it says to abhor what is evil, do I really hate what's going on 
Does that really get to me when I hear about that? And I hope that not only do we hate that evil, but I also do hope it prompts us to come alongside people that have really been victims of abortion that are trying to be healed from that. And men and women, really. There's just a healing work that I think that the Lord wants to do. And I feel that the enemy just seeks to destroy those lives, both the moms and the infants, by his deceptive ways of what he says about what it is and what it isn't. It's just so heartbreaking. But it is an evil in our culture. And that's always the first one I think of when it says to abhor what is evil, because we so largely just see that one has become kind of culturally accepted. And when you look at the statistics and the voting of who people think that it actually should be legal or not, it should make us sad, guys. And we should have to read this verse here in Romans and go, man, am I abhorring what is evil? So let's move to the next one on our checklist, but this one's a little more fun, okay? So the next one, it says, hold fast to what is good, okay? See, a fun one. We went from heavy, but here's what the Lord's saying here. Hold fast to what is good, the good. Yeah, we're to hate what is evil. Throw that away from you, but cling to the things that are good. The word in there when it's saying cling, it's like literally glue. It's like, man, just stick to the things that are good. And there's definitely a doctrinal implication here. All these chapters here in Romans leading up to this one, chapters one through 11 really are are solid, like good doctrine. That's where Paul's going. And he is covering some real doctrinal truths throughout this. So that is definitely the good as well. But Philippians 4.8, it tells us that whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Those are the good things to put to your mind. And when I think about when what we need to hold fast, we need to be glued onto the things that are good. I run through that list. Is this thing that I'm thinking about, is it honorable? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Is it pure? Definitely when the enemy is trying to throw deceptions at you, I was always that person that would be, if my husband didn't call, this is like back in the day when there wasn't really cell phones. And if he was supposed to be home from work at six and he wasn't, and I couldn't get a hold of him. So I'm positive, you know, he's, he's lying dead in a ditch somewhere. That's for sure what was going on. I actually had a sweet godly woman direct me in this direction of like, why don't you read Philippians 4, 8 a few times when that's, because whatever is true, do you know that that's what's happened to your husband? No, 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 no. That isn't what is true. That is not what is honorable. That is not what is just, pure, lovely. I mean, it's just a great list to take our thoughts captive and go, let's think about this. This to me is what I think of when I think of that we need to hold fast to what is good. But if I could take this even a little bit further, how about affirming the good things in the people around you? There's just so much value with this. Maybe if you're a mom, maybe this is for your kiddo. Don't miss that opportunity to affirm the things that they're just really just rocking at right now. Sometimes moms, we are, we're picking, right? We're, we're like, okay, you didn't do this again. You didn't do this. And not that we don't need to correct and do all those things with kids. Oh, we totally do. But don't forget to affirm the things that, that you see that are excellent, particularly when it's habit things, responsibility things, when they pull something out of a verse, really affirm them in the things that are are good, that are excellent. Beyond kids, though, what about your friends and relationships? I have a dear friend that is just so kind 
and generous. And usually what that generosity and kindness looks like is she is constantly driving my children around and just giving of her time. And she's just amazing. But as I was thinking about the good things in my life, she came to mind. And with the conviction that I had as I was reading this, because I told you guys, I'm reading these going, Amy, how are you doing at this? Man, I want to affirm that in her, that this is a good thing that you do. And it just affirms the good things that we have in our relationships. Or if you're married, guys, this is a big one. So if you're if you've been married for like two, three years, you're probably still in that phase where you're reminding your husband all the time of all the amazing things and how great he's doing at this and this. But my husband and I, we just passed 23 years that we've been married. And guys, I'll admit it, you get out of the habit of affirming the things that your husband's just killing it on. And you almost just sort of take it for granted. Well, you know, of course, he's working hard. And yep, oh, man, he put in a really long day again, you know, but that's what he does. Instead of taking a sec and actually verbalizing those things and affirming those things, thanking them even for the things that they're doing. But say it out loud and don't just assume that they know that. When I was reading the scripture, I was thinking that is something when we are holding fast to what is good, I think we can take that even to being how we can affirm that and affirm the things that are good in our relationships and the people around us. We already talked about verse 10. That was the love one another and outdo one another and showing honor. But don't forget that is still part of our checklist. So if you actually get super nerdy with this podcast and you go and you take Romans 12 and you start making yourself a checklist, don't leave Romans 10 out, even though we covered that last week. But Romans 11, so if we're going on back to our back to school checklist, because here's the part where it's like, but wait, there's more. And here's where we start really checking some off. Paul is going to get into the nitty gritty. He's going to get super practical. And if there's something in here that at some point y'all don't get some conviction or like, man, I need to do this. Well, you're doing a lot better than me because there's all kinds of stuff that is just real practical that I think we can check in on. Verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Okay, again, we're talking about abhor earlier. Nobody uses that word. We don't use slothful in zeal very much either, but let's bring them back. I like them. Slothful in zeal. So first, slothful, okay? Whenever I picture this, of course, you picture the sloths that are in, oh, what's the movie? The cartoon where they're the DMV people. I know you guys are in your car finishing my sentence. If Brennan was in the room, he could help me out with this. But whoever the sloth is, that's who I always picture. Slow, right? So slow. Now, I will say... He's a pretty diligent sloth because he is getting his job done. But this sloth here that we're talking about is saying slothful in zeal. So this is lazy, guys. This is just being lazy. Don't be lazy. Or even if you want to go with the slothful in that the slow, you could take it there too. Don't be slow in your zeal. We'll jump into the zeal in just a sec, but You got, there's so much application, guys, with the lazy piece. And you can look in Proverbs and you can find verses on what it has to say about being lazy. So don't be lazy, but also this not being slow to our zeal and our zeal for what? So here's the next thing on our list. So we got, do not be slothful in zeal, but it says be fervent in spirit. I like the definition that Luke gives us in Acts. So Luke says in Acts 18.25, and he's talking about Apollos. And he says he was being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Here's the thing. 
it says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. You can't have a lazy approach in knowing things about Jesus. We need to know who the Jesus of the Bible is. So that might sound super obvious. Of course we do. But sadly, I think a lot of apathy has really creeped in here. I read a quote recently that was reflecting on the younger generation. And it was definitely talking about, you know, the I don't even want to give an age bracket to it because I don't know. But they're usually pictured with they're loving to go to all the worship services. And it's a very almost like experience driven relationship that they have with worship a little bit. What he said is that I fear that we have a generation of young people that are passionate about a Jesus that they know nothing about. I think it's Vadi Bakum that said that, I believe. This could get me going down a big rabbit trail. So I'll try to rein this in. But Acts here saying, being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately about the things of Jesus. This accurately catches me, guys, because this is where the world and really the progressive church is winning the day in young people's minds. They're banking on folks that they will be slothful in zeal and they will not know accurately the Jesus of the Bible. So what do I mean by this? This is that Jesus is love. So if Jesus is love, he wouldn't do fill in the blank. And that is a whole host of different things. Jesus wouldn't do this. Jesus wouldn't do this. One of the things that love does not do, this is the one that the progressive Christian will not quote when they're talking about Jesus being love, is it does tell us in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. So that means that to know Jesus accurately, we need to know the things that are sin. We need to understand that God is perfectly holy and can have nothing to do with sin. And that part of Jesus is less talked about, isn't it? But to be fervent in spirit, we need to not be lazy, but we need to know who God is, all of his nature. And not just the parts that work for us and work for culture or work for whatever the issue of the day may be. We need to know all of it. And again, that points us back to why we do this here on the Devoted Podcast, why I hope that you're really plugged into your church and why I hope you are studying scripture on your own and with your pastor, because that's how we're not slothful in our zeal. That's how we actually learn who the Jesus of the Bible is. There's Jesus in the Old Testament. There's a holy, perfect God that is represented throughout all of Scripture. You just can't leave any of it out. But to really have a good understanding of Scripture, that's where we keep coming back. We just got to be in it. We really need to be in the Word. Okay, so we've checked. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. The next thing on our checklist is a pretty easy one. Serve the Lord. That's the next one on our list. How are you serving the Lord? Or are you? Okay. Are you serving the Lord? And that can look like a lot of different things. There's huge freedom in this, I think. But you should be able to answer that question somehow. This is being very clear to you guys. How are you serving the Lord? If you're a mom with young kids right now, that service could look like a lot of diapers and a lot of faithful discipline with those kiddos. That should not be discounted in any way as how you are serving. Because remember, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So whatever your work is right now, if you're doing it as unto the Lord, you're serving the Lord. But beyond that, how can you serve maybe even outside of your own home? 
Your home is the first priority, though. That's where the service has got to come from first. But then as you can, maybe in different seasons of your life, maybe you're an empty nester that you can serve the Lord by discipling younger gals. Man, do we need that? Man, we get emails and calls of people wanting to get connected with someone like an older gal, a mentor of some kind in the faith that they can meet with and just be discipled by. And I tell you, the thing that I hear most of the time is the gals that go, well, I'm not old enough to be a mentor. If you're saying that, I would probably ask you to pray about that and say, is that the Lord saying that or is that the enemy not wanting me to be used? Because here's the thing. If you are in college right now, there's a high school gal that could be mentored. You just kind of need to pray about what is, we didn't go into those Romans 12 gifts that we talked about, but the giftings that the Lord has given us, we need to give those back to the Lord. Like, Lord, use these. There are gals that need to be guided, and it doesn't even have to look like anything super fancy. Maybe that just looks like meeting with a gal twice a month and listening to where they're at. And hey, what are you reading in scripture right now? And we're sharing with them what you're reading. Or maybe you want to just have some gals over and you just want to pray. Like I said, there's a lot of freedom and liberty, but how are you serving the Lord? Okay, I'll start going a little bit quicker on these because like I told you, it's a serious list, right? So do not be slothful and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Our next one is rejoice in hope. I'm going to actually tack these two together, rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation, because I really love that since we do have to focus on the tribulation and how we need to be patient in these hard times, I love that he leads it off with that we can rejoice in hope. I think we have all in this last year and a half definitely needed that carrot. We have needed to see that this world is not our home, is it? I wish you could see me right here behind my microphone at the moment because that makes me smile that this world is not it. We have such hope. And the thing is, regardless of how bad our situation is, how bad the news is, the things that just infuriate us on the news, whatever that stuff looks like, man, we know who wins in the end. This is not it for the believer. And that's why we always do want to come back to the fact of the gospel, because if you've not repented of your sin and believe that Jesus died and that you have been saved by the atoning work of the cross, that you have heaven to look forward to, then you don't get this verse right here. You don't have the rejoice and hope part. There's nothing very rejoicing about this world that we live in right now as it is. Yuck. And there's sure not a lot of hope. And that's, again, why we want to go to the Word, because the Word is what shows us how this story even ends. This is the hope. So rejoice in hope, but then there was that next part, right, in this verse that says, be patient in tribulation. I'm not sure if we have totally grasped all of what tribulation is. I think sometimes people will say they're going through a season of suffering. Definitely people have gone through seasons like that. I try to be careful and a little guarded that I don't view my circumstance necessarily as tribulation because I can always think of about 20 other stories that have it so much worse than I do. But there is hardship and there is tribulation and that can look like a bunch of things. Maybe it looks like a physical illness. When I see how some of my friends, dear friends who have gone through cancer and battled through that, oh, that's tribulation. 
that's tribulation. That's really hard. When I read stories of people across the world and the persecution they go through for being a Christian or the way they have to hide their Bibles or those stories that you read, yeah, that's, that's tribulation. Tribulation is not my dishwasher breaking and my dinner not getting cooked that night or something. The things that we can get ourselves stressed out about, maybe our normal to-do list, not our Romans 12 to-do list, but they're not that big deal. That's not really the tribulation. So I try to be pretty, I guess, guarded about the use of tribulation in my life because I do think that there are real tribulations, but I don't think that that's always for me, right? But we will see seasons of tribulation and we have been through those. But this is such a comforting word It says to be patient. I think one of the things that challenges me about the being patient through tribulation, closest thing I can think of with real hardcore tribulation, and this kind of gets into some of the admonitions that we get a little bit later in this chapter, is when I went through a real season of grief and when my dad died very suddenly, you get in that moment and man, you just want to get it fixed. Like you want that pain to go away right then. You want to be done. Yep, this happened. I just want to get through this valley. I just want to get to the other side. I just, I really don't want to feel any of this anymore. (laughs) This was fun. I'm done. But you have this encouragement here to be patient in tribulation. And while maybe sometimes if you're a mom and you've had to say that to your kid, or like, oh, just be patient. I sort of feel like I've had the Lord say that to me too. Just be patient. And while maybe that word wouldn't have been very encouraging in the moment, when I look back at that season, I'm real glad, actually, that the Lord did not just take it all away and just warp speed me over that and through that valley and make all of that go away and be better. I'm actually really glad he didn't do that because he met me in so many places in those seasons of tribulation that I wouldn't have gotten any other way. I would have missed it. So I think it's an encouragement from the Lord that he's saying, hey, hang on, be patient in tribulation. Okay, I said I'm going to go faster. I don't know if I'm doing a very good job. Okay, be constant in prayer. I could talk a whole episode about this one, guys, and I have. (laughs) If you go back into the archives, I believe I've done at least two, and I'm probably going to keep sounding like a broken record on this one because I just think this one is so important. Be constant in prayer. Constant, guys. Not once a day, not like right when you're about to eat dinner. Be constant in prayer. All throughout your day, be praying about stuff. I've done this. I'll be driving somewhere with my husband and he's stressed and there's work stuff going on. And he doesn't know I'm doing it, but I'm actually sitting in the passenger seat just asking that the Lord would be the lifter of his head, that he would just be able to cast his cares upon the Lord, that the Lord cares for him. And I just kind of run these scriptures through my mind and pray those for my husband while we're sitting there driving to dinner. Pray constantly. I love that. But then I also just want to keep it in our forefront of our mind that we don't want to have prayers like a tack on thing. I don't want us to gather as women and we're going to do this activity and then we'll just tack on a prayer at the end. Sure, you can do that. And I would always just encourage someone to pray whenever. But what if prayer is the main thing? What if you actually gather because that's just all you want to do is pray? I just have felt so strongly about that for a while now, but increasingly so. And maybe that's just because as we see the evil in the day, I just want us to be in prayer. And I think we're real quick to go, uh, I'm not sure. I didn't really see the quick result of that, so I'm not going to do it. Go back to the patient piece that we just talked about. But let's be constant in prayer. 
how much could change in our families, in our society, in our world, but to be really praying. Several months ago, Athey did, Pastor Brett gave a sermon called Stand in the Gap. And if you didn't hear it, go check it out. Man, it just struck me so much to be somebody that needs to be praying, even for the most hopeless situations, the hopeless cities that you think are out there, but that we need to be praying and standing in the gap for our country, for just our world that's out there that is really lost. Next one on our list is verse 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints. And I'm going to tack this one together. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is a fun one, right? How can you open your home to someone? Can you make someone a meal when they're sick? You know, I think this also extends to maybe opening up your circle a little bit. Maybe you've always hung out with these same awesome six families, and that's fantastic. But I know, especially for us at Athe, we have seen so many new faces at church. And man, if you've been around for a while, I'd really encourage you to look for those gals, look for those families, and make your circle just a little bit bigger. Because I've met some, just some dear people that I don't know if I just continue to walk in my same circles, I'm not sure if I would have met them. I've met some amazing newer gals to our church, and it's just been so great. I'm the one I feel like is so blessed by it. But this is also a word here, part of our back to school checklist here of contribute to the needs of the saints and to show hospitality. Ask yourself how you can do that. That can be a fun one, but do that. Okay, we are sort of wrapping up. Sorry. This is, again, I feel like where Paul would say to us, but wait, there's more, okay? So verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. I guess when I think of this one, you might go, well, that one is an easy one. I don't need to be convicted by that. Well, that's great for you. I think I did need to be convicted by this one because not that I feel like I'm being persecuted or anything like that, but do I think of the people that I disagree with, particularly, like I said, this hostile political climate and all the things that are going on, am I blessing those folks very much? Ooh, okay. See, that one cut a little bit. Am I blessing the people that I disagree with? Go back to the prayer one. Am I praying for those folks or am I just seething about our differences that we have? Or am I blessing them? Be honest with yourself about that one. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When I just was alluding back to kind of a season of grief for me, the weeping with those who weep, I was certainly blessed by those that really wept with me during that time. And it was convicting to me because I think up until that time, until I had experienced that level of grief, I don't know that I was the best at grieving with somebody else. And that needed to happen. And clearly from the word, but I don't think I've had a real tangible picture of what that looked like until I experienced that. But I have to say that even the first part, rejoice with those who rejoice. How do I do with that? So I'm not a super excitable person. If you know me personally, you know this. I think sometimes I probably need to work on that one even more than the weeping with those who weep, trying to actually rejoice for someone and really working on expressing it. I think that's my problem sometimes is the expressing it. So ask yourself, how do you do on that? And maybe you're better at one than the other, but rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Next, he says, live in harmony with one another being peaceable, living with each other in as much unity. I love how he ends this Romans 12. In verse 18, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's a challenge right there, right? But again, let's come to scripture and see how we do on that one. So live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty is the next one, but associate with the lowly. 
Guys, it's just plain old ugly pride, right? And I think it goes back to verse 10 when we talked about don't view yourself as more highly than you ought, but to think soberly of yourself. It's funny. Do you see this recurring theme? This keeps coming up. And I think it's because this is a real easy one for us to flesh out on for sure. We elevate ourselves. We do get haughty. We do um, think that we're right about something. But instead, it says, do not be that. But then it goes so far as to say, associate with the lowly. Do we do that? Who is those that are hurting? Are we helping them? How are we extending the love of Christ to those that are in a lowly state, that are kind of in a rough situation? They're down on their situation, finances or whatever. How are we helping? How are we associating with them? Never be wise in your own sight. Okay, see, again, the theme. This is the next verse in our checklist. Never be wise in your own sight. And I think we hear this undercurrent, this theme again of pride. And this is funny, right? Because, hey, I know stuff. I know stuff. That's what we can think. Like, I know. So, man, we become an expert in something by a Google search, don't we? So we think that we're so wise. I love the Proverbs that remind us to guard our tongue. It's better to be the one that says nothing but to open your mouth and be the fool and remove all doubt of the fool that you are. And I'm totally destroying that quote. But you get the idea of being the one that wants to be the smartest person in the room. So you're chatting it up over there. And really, you kind of expose what you don't know. I always think of my dad when I think of this, because if you've known those people that they are wise, but the ones that are really wise are usually the quietest in the room. And this was my dad. This was totally him. One of the most well-read men I've ever known. I don't think I've ever known anyone who was as educated as my dad. And he would tell you that he wasn't because he didn't actually complete college. And so he was always feeling like he didn't know things, right? But maybe he just overcompensated because the guy just read everything. And so in my mind, he was truly the most educated man I knew. But if you were in a room until you asked him, he wasn't just going to sit there and tell you. He was more quiet about it. And I think that's wisdom there. So there's our last one on our checklist there. Never be wise in your own sight. That one's a lot. Okay, so we're covering a lot. I'm going to take a little breather here and actually just kind of wrap this up too. Because if you're thinking that, okay, I'm just a smidge overwhelmed, Maybe you actually got nerdy about this and you wrote out Romans 12 and you wrote out all of these little checklist items, okay? But it can be overwhelming. So let's look at Galatians here for a second because this is where our challenge is. We can kind of take this list and yes, it's exhaustive, it's challenging. At the same time, it's pretty amazing, right? Because you just kind of look at this and you're like, yes, Lord, this is the stuff I want to do. I want to do better at this. I want to, in this season, as I put in this new routine that I've gone, I want to run this through the Romans 12 list of how I really want to live my life. But if you do this just from your own, from your own strength, you know, the do better, the try harder, you probably know how well that's going to go. <laughs> it's not going to go very well. You know that because you've tried it a zillion times before. So let me remind you of Galatians 5, through 24. And that's that passage that talks about the works of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, this is the part I really want you to hear, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, here is the key. The key is not really you or me, okay? It's not about you writing this list down and checking everything off and, yep, I've totally got this. Because if we tried to do all that stuff on our own strength, I don't think we're going to do very well. It's dying to our flesh, though. It's the crucifying our flesh with its passions and desires. That's that last piece right there. And it's the walking in the Spirit. So all of those, the fruits of the Spirit that we read, that's the walking in the Spirit. And I always love that Scripture is so kind to say that it's walking in the Spirit and it's not running in the Spirit. I am so not a runner, guys. I'm never going to be a runner. It's a walk. It's a progression. It's steady. But it's by the power of the Spirit. It's not by us and how good we think we're just going to nail our checklist. And that's why staying in God's Word is so, so, so important. So important that I feel called to do a whole podcast on it, guys. Got to stay in the Word so that we can do this, so that we can take our fleshly desires, let them die, let them be that living sacrifice that we just let go. And we take on what Jesus has for us. He says his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He didn't give us this Romans 12 checklist here and say, well, nice try. You're not going to be able to do that, but good luck. No, he gives us his spirit. And it says that if anyone who wants the spirit, that he will give it generously. We just have to ask for it. I'm going to leave you with that because we need to be encouraged. This is a list, right? This is exhaustive. It's a whole lot of things. And I do actually hope that you take my challenge of really writing these things down, or at the very least, open up your Bible, go through these, and would you pray through these and ask the Lord to make any corrections, make some modifications, create in me a clean heart, oh oh God, the psalmist says, and renew a right spirit within me. But it's this practice of going to the word and asking it to transform us. Because then that's when the things of the world that want us to be conformed to them, they are going to fall so flat if you're spending time in the word. I want to finish this off with just one final verse. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I hope that none of this strikes you as you need to get your act together, you need to do this, you need to do that. I hope that we just let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Because as we do that, as we walk in the spirit, as we seek the Lord, as we look to his word for and let it do its work in us, let us get uncomfortable. Let it tell us that actually you don't know it all, Amy. You need to hang on here. You need to be patient in this situation. Let the word do that. And then I think we can just approach the word and have that right perspective on even how to live just very practically, just as this Romans 12 list, real practical, real daily. But let's let the word really do its work. So there we go. We've got through most of Romans 12. Guys, I did miss some verses. So that's great, though, because then you can open up your own Bible and you can see the passages and you can see what the Lord has for you there, the things that we didn't cover. So we will uh, catch you guys next time. We've got a bunch of different episodes coming up. I've got some different guests coming on. So we're going to do some more of those conversations, but always getting into the Word. That's what we're going to do. That's what you can count on me for here every week. So we will talk to you guys next time here on the Devoted Podcast. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.